Welcome to the Open Deeply Podcast, where guests open up and dive deep into the vulnerable experiences that shape them. We believe life storytelling has power, the power to heal and inspire others. Your journey towards finding your sexual and personal truth starts now. Here are your hosts, Sunny Megatron and Kate Laurie. Welcome to Open Deeply. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Kate Lurie. Our guest today is Jiminika Eborn, and on this episode, Jiminika will be telling us her inspiring life story. And in our next episode, she'll be back to answer our questions about her journey that she's sharing today. Here's a bit more about Jiminika. Jiminika Eborn is a queer media consultant, comprehensive sex educator, and sexual assault and trauma expert. With a master's in health psychology, she's worked in mental health for the past 13 years in sex education and sexual trauma support. Jiminika is the host of Trauma Queen, a podcast miniseries for survivors of assault and their allies, and the founder of Tending the Garden, a healing retreat for survivors of assault and different marginalized identities. In 2020, Jiminika co-founded Centauri Co., bringing increased representations to the field of intimacy coordination in the film industry. But before we get started, I need to remind you that Open Deeply Podcast isn't therapy or a replacement for therapy. Please know this episode has themes of sexual and emotional abuse. If you catch yourself becoming emotionally overwhelmed by this episode's content, please get support. Call a friend a therapist, or an emotional support hotline like 800-273-TALK, which is 8255. All right. So, Jiminika, as you know, the truth about the United States is that we began and still are a colonized culture and part of colonization or what, you know, you might call dominator culture. What it's done is to create a largely disconnected society due to shame and or trauma. So part of the intent in this podcast is to break down that shame and to reconnect people via our collective inspiring stories. And in the four previous stories, they all began with trauma that led to a triumphant return to a connected, authentic spirit. And so the opportunity to hear your journey now is perfect timing as someone who has made it their life's work to reconnect trauma survivors to both a supportive community and to themselves through knowledge, love, and compassion. So before we get started with your story, is there anything that you want listeners to know? Yeah, that healing is not linear. And I think that is something that we get lost in by looking at other folks. That social media is not Bible. It's not the end all, the be all. (laughs) And that you're doing the best you can. And oftentimes we don't give ourselves enough grace as we navigate trauma and the compound traumas that a lot of us experience on a daily. Absolutely. It's so complicated. And a lot of people just do not understand that at all. Okay. So with that said, Jiminika, please tell us your story. Wow. Okay. I'm ready. So... (laughs) I am a comprehensive sexuality educator. I believe in looking at people holistically because we are whole people. And that is why 
And we'll get to that journey of how I got to mm-hmm. all of these degrees and all these stupid pieces of paper. But <laughs> um, I am a trauma specialist and that is my jam. I like being the support system for folks and we'll talk about how I got there. So let's just jump into this journey of mine. Mm-hmm. So I like to preface it, even if we, you know, we have conversations beforehand, I want to preface it with, I'm going to say a lot of hard things and I'm going to start off with a pretty hard thing for some folks. Um, I've been calling myself a child of trauma. Mm-hmm. My mother was murdered when I was one years old wow. and she was murdered in front of me mm. by my possible sperm donor. We'll, we'll get to why I say possible, but she was murdered by him. And fun fact, we're going to forward, we're going to do a little forward and rewind in this story because a lot of the things are now connected and it'll make sense. A few weeks ago, I was helping my grandparents who then who now have raised me because of her murder. And we were going through their documents and cleaning things out. And I got all the court reports and the police reports from her murder and learning her resilience Mm -hmm. of being brutally stabbed and hit with vases and all kinds of things. Like she was still alive when the police came and she later died at the hospital. He did this harm to her, took me outside to his sister, who actually left, and I didn't know any of this, left to go get help from a neighbor, and he carried me out covered in my mother's blood, which in turn, I was covered in her blood. Wow. And then the police came and did all the reports and everything, and they took me to my grandparents covered in my mother's blood. And this is why I say I'm a child of trauma. Jiminika has just told us about her traumatic experience at age one. Many people wrongly assume that early traumatic events won't impact the psyche if they are so early that we don't remember. This assumption is incorrect. In fact, early traumas may have a deeper impact since we have little to no coping skills when we are very young. Another incorrect assumption is that it's not possible to heal early memories if we can't remember what happened. The truth is that many therapeutic modalities can help heal early and even pre-verbal traumatic memories, such as EMDR, somatic psychotherapy, and parts work therapy. If you have early childhood trauma, please don't ignore your early emotional wounds. We will leave links to descriptions of these three types of therapy in the show notes. Like those are the things that started this this journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I was raised by my two grandparents, James and Cheryl, and my aunt, Roy and Kim. And I'm very thankful that they took me in and raised me. What was interesting growing up is I learned early on that my youngest aunt, who was still 18 years my senior, (laughs) was jealous of me. And it showed up a lot. And I was like, I don't know if I took the baby spot. I don't know what it is, but I realized it really young. Like I have memory of like being three and four and her like picking on me and like six years old of me waiting until she was like at my level, like sitting on the ground and being fed up and just going behind her and like kicking her and then running to my dad. Wow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like it was like those times of like, 
I felt like I was taking my power back. Right. And so that's the start. I ended up going to private school and getting gifted, quote unquote, and like gifted in the sense of I love to read and I would read anything and everything that I could get my hands on. And also I loved music. So they got me into piano. I learned how to play the saxophone and I did all these cool things as, as I was in elementary school. I was in the second grade when my, my grandmother was like, this school is too much. It was 10 hours of homework a day. I'm in the second grade. I don't think this is the move. Wow. Uh, she was like, I'm exhausted, so I don't really care. I'm not doing this shit anymore. Literally, her, so I'm not doing this shit anymore. <laughs> and so she put me in a private, uh, she took me from private school to public school. Mm. And this is where I started to evolve because the private school was predominantly white. It was in a different area. It was closer to the college. And where we lived, she put me in an elementary school that was predominantly black and brown. And Mm. so it was like a whole new world. They put me in the gate program because I knew how to read and I do all these things. But no one knew that I wasn't great at math. (laughs) Like no one saw that. (laughs) I was like, guys, calculators, come on. Which later led to me still present day struggling with math. I can count my money. Now, if you put some letters and numbers, I'm out. I'm confused. (laughs) And so while I was, you know, navigating all of this, I was learning about black people, right? Like that's a whole new direct focus of like different types of black people. And like, I learned about colorism. I was like, oh, for me, I thought I was a dark skinned black girl Mm -hmm. because everyone was so light. And I was like, nope. I am not. Oh, there's other people. There's other identities. There's different types of families. And this is where I was like, my friend had lesbian parents. I was like, what are some lesbians? I'm in the third grade. <laughs> just, what are lesbians? <laughs> but also so intrigued that it was different from everything else, right? So I think this was like my, my explorative brain, like opening up and blossoming. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much. I learned about like dating and all these things and who should fourth graders be learning about dating i don't know maybe (laughs) um but i also remember in that time frame having my first sex ed class Mm -hmm. and it was trash (laughs) it was Mm -hmm. so bad it It was like don't do it it always is isn't it (laughs) yeah so bad it was so old i was like what are these people talking about and it basically was like, don't do it. You're going to get pregnant. And I was like, well, I don't want pregnancy. It's clear I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but at the same time, my little hormones were flickering. Mm-hmm. And I was getting breasts. I've had breasts since I was 11. Mm-hmm. I've been 5'7 since I was 12. At some point, I got to 5'8. I don't know. But I was like a developed child pretty early. Mm-hmm. And we talk about like sexism and we talk about how black and brown bodies are like commodified and sexualized I started to learn that at 12 that is something we shouldn't learn that why are grown men making comments about my little b cup titties right like I'm over here trying to get attached and figure them out myself and I'm a child and so that really starts to have you changing and so I get into 
all of these things, having my body and hormones, and then she figured out masturbation. And what a blessing. What a time. What a time. <laughs> great coping uh, skill. It was a great coping skill. The first way I learned how was using a hard surface, but it was a toothbrush. And I feel like this is a thing that a lot of people utilize. I don't know how I got to the toothbrush. I don't know where it came from. And when I learned about rubbing on my clitoris, <laughs> but it was a thing. And then I'm going to pause and we're going to go back. And I'm, I'm a jumper. That's how my brain works. But I do remember that my oldest aunt, she had a stepdaughter, same age as me. Mm -hmm. She was raised in a different area, different type of people, whatever. And I remember, and it, I, I'm still very confused. I don't know when it started, but I kind of remember it ended around 10 where she started to get touchy with me. And we started like grinding on each other. And this was, this started around like six and it went for like years. And mm -hmm. it was a very interesting, like explorative relationship, but also you don't understand that. I don't understand that. And <laughs> then there's that, that shame, right? Like it, you, you don't know. And you're like, I shouldn't be doing this. This is at nighttime. We're in the room. And it happened every time we had a sleepover. Mm-hmm. And then present day, 33-year-old Jiminique, I'm like, who was grooming her? Like, how did she know these things? Like, what was happening at her home? And now I'm, like, questioning these things. And it, but it's also not in my space to question it. It's also, like, that was a part of my journey. Yeah. Right? So then, come on back to 12-year-old Jiminique. We go to middle school. I moved back into a upper middle class predominantly white area. The reason we moved is because my aunt moved in with her family. They never left. And my parents were like, absolutely not. We're out. So uh, <laughs> she's in that house to this day. Her and my other aunt live next door to each other. It's a mess. <laughs> but I moved to another area and I had to relearn the system and relearned the class system that's in middle schools, right? In high schools that I feel like people don't talk about enough because a lot of the times, that's a whole new trauma that starts for folks. Yeah. And we're just like, well, you're in school, and it's supposed to be hard. Like, is it? Like, does it have to be? Like, do you have to fit into one category or not? And this is where I, like, was just continuing to go through things. So middle school, dating, I had braces, I played the saxophone, I looked back like, who let me do this <laughs> 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 but also this is the time where I had HBO in my bedroom and I had real sex and I had taxi cab confessions and I had the bunny house ranch and I had red shoe diaries <laughs> and for some people that don't know what those are, those are gateway drugs. <laughs> I used to love red, red Shoe Diaries. And that's where I learned my sex ed. Was it the best? I don't know. Did I think, what the, f I have a fucking orgy. This looks like a time. <laughs> and I learned about being bisexual and I learned about bodies and I was like, I think I like girls. Mm -hmm. Never talked about it until later. And we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But <laughs> this is where I started being like, cool, I have the internet and started kind of doing research. And 
navigating all these things. And I told Sunny this, like I found Sunny when I was younger. And I was like, who is this lady with these curls? <laughs> like, like I, Sunny helped me. And now I'm like, oh, Sunny is fine. Like, hang out with Sunny. Sunny is a time. But two, you know, they say don't meet your idol. Okay, all the time, that's not right, right? Like, sometimes, yeah, people are trash, but not always. So I was learning all of these things that I had no one to converse about them. And so I would just be this person, and I just had all this information. And I also, I felt like I was building it up, like, within my body. And I just knew that the people that I was around were just, like, stops. Like, these were not permanent people in my life, except a few of them, like my best friend that I present day live with, we met the first day of seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Like we were just stuck. We are like, we're going to be 34 next year. We were 12 then. That's a long time to keep someone. I tried to break up with a few times because commitment issues, but she won't (laughs) let me. (laughs) And so then I get to high school. It's a whole nother game, right? Each time it's like leveling up and then people considering and considering me to be in a specific box. I, <laughs> I love the quote, no one puts baby in a corner. If you know the movie, you know. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I fucking love dirty dancing. Okay. I'll just tell you, I loved dirty dancing <laughs> because there were so many levels of like acknowledgement and growth and freedom and race and things that people weren't talking about. And, you know, I was listening to, to Kate's episode and like the art of healing and the art of connection and that's what I saw in that movie. And so I felt like people kept trying to put me in a corner of like, well, you, you do this. You have to hang out with these people. You do this, whatever. And so many groups tried to make me their black friend mm-hmm. because I was the one. I remember one time they approached me like, oh, we want you to come to this party. And oh, please come, blah, blah, blah. We uninvited people to invite you and just kept going. And I will never forget that line. Mm. You uninvited people to have me in this space so you never thought about me first Mm. you thought oh we're missing well we should probably invite this we should probably do this Mm -hmm. but not realizing how othering that felt and how it really like added to the shame of already being a little black girl with boobs taller than everyone until finally that summer going into high school Some are going into 10th grade. Everyone else started growing. Like that has always stuck with me. I remember I was at PE. I remember exactly the conversation. Like that is like part of that trauma that I talk about, like that people don't realize and how it takes you back to that moment. Just like music will take you back to that moment. Mm -hmm. And so high school is whatever. I hated lots of it. I hated most of it. I was also asked often because I didn't date. I didn't want to. I was like, all of y'all are annoying and not on my level. And they weren't because they were so focused on getting to that next party. And I was like, what do I want to do when I get out of here? I want to work. Like, I want to make money. I like having my own things. So we were doing different things and that's fine. But the connection was different. So I spent a lot of lunchtime in a classroom, even with like the cool teachers. Also using their meal plans because we had a restaurant on campus. They'd be like, get what you want. Yes. (laughs) I was like, I sure will. And I learned so much about myself in the comfort of like being alone. Like I'm an introvert and it's okay. And my mom would ask me often, 
are you a lesbian? And I'd be like, what? Who's a lesbian? No, absolutely not. And then I'd be like, shit, am I? <laughs> I don't know. And when I say mom, I'm talking about my grandmother, just for reference. But am I a lesbian? I don't know. I like guys. I'm attracted to guys. I've seen real sex. And I was like, I want to see what that's like trying to do that. And <laughs> having her constantly asking me and asking me, for some reason, it built up like this shame aspect within me. Mm-hmm. And so it took me a long time to get there. But I was also dealing with other shame, which a lot of us go through in that time. And it's the body, <laughs> the body shame of fitting into this box with these people. And I'm black. My curves is different. I will never be the same <laughs> as the Ashleys. Right? <laughs> like we were just different. And it was like, oh, well, you have boobs. I remember people throwing that in my face. Well, people are only interested in you because of your tits. And I'm like, wow. Bitch, no one's interested in me. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right? Like, I struggled with eating, which a lot of us do. And I think that's a conversation to have. I struggled mm-hmm. with eating. People brought up my body in my family. People bring up my body in my family to this day. And I continue to set that boundary. But Look at your boobs. You don't even have a bra. They're just sitting up. Oh, I'm so jealous. Oh, look how skinny you are. Oh, my God. I wish I could be that skinny. And I didn't know it then, but I was in that disordered eating. Like, I didn't eat a lot of meat. I didn't. I only focused on, like, veggies and fruit. I played volleyball. I was active. And I found because that's when the internet was really starting to move and aim i used to read i can't even think of the name of them now but like the platforms for eating disorder folks where they would just Mm -hmm. share their stories and their techniques and their tips i used to read that like i would print it out and hide it next to my smut but (laughs) they both existed and they were both a part of me at that time And those were both parts where I felt shame because the questioning of, are you, are you a lesbian? Are you, are you doing these things? Oh, my body. That's a thing that people focus on. And, you know, it's like no one to talk to in that time, because if you tried to say something in in my family, it was like, well, you have too many feelings. Mm. You cry a lot. Like you need to buck up. And so I learned around high school that my saving grace, with sarcasm and that is how I could get people back like I learned how to be really quick wit to feel like I had footing right like that makes sense yeah in school I didn't have it I just was really quiet because I was like this isn't worth it I don't even care but also in school I didn't fit in with the black kids they'd be like you think you're so cute and I'd be like bitch who is cute I'd be looking they would like yell this to me as I'm walking to classes and I'd be like, who I have thick unibrow eyebrows. Looks like I got caterpillar on my face. I, <laughs> I'm over here with this stupid ass backpack with too many books in it. Like there were so many things that I was so confused at all these people trying to put labels and put me in these boxes in these corners. And I was just confused, which many of us are right. Just be- fucking fuddled. Yeah. So I was so excited to get near the exit. So I, Got a job at Kmart. I don't know if y'all remember Kmart, but it doesn't oh, yeah. exist yep. anymore. Yeah, yep. 
my my grandmother used to be the manager at Kmart. My aunt used to work there. So it was like kind of like a family thing also. And so I got a job there in my 11th, 11th grade going into senior year. And I met this boy, really a guy, a man. He was older than I was. And we, we recently reconnected and it's so adorable. But his name, I won't share, but he had this Buddha tattoo on his arm. That's how old he was. Uh, you can get a tattoo at any age though right he had a buddha tattoo and he was so sweet and so i dated him for quite some time and this is where i started to really learn about myself more like that was i was 17 the first time i had my first kiss and the first time i had sex it was with this person and i was like oh i love this part of myself like this connection and like the appreciation of my body where it's not just like on a pedestal to judge yeah. And I was like, ooh, which later showed up in like loving body worship. <laughs> um, get it. <laughs> but having language was great. But I, I had all these things and I also hung out with older people. Like we were all in high school or like at the local college. So I was hanging out with lesbians and I was like, oh, this is great. My mom, and that really ramped up. Are you sure you're not a lesbian? Because you hang out with a lot of lesbians. <laughs> and I was like, no, they're just fun. They're just fun. But like, that felt like the start of me attempting to build community without me even knowing it. That's amazing. And they, they just loved me and like took me, they were older and like took me to all the concerts. I am an emo kid day to day. And people are very confused about that. I'm like, I got a lot of feelings. It makes sense. And they would buy me concert tickets and be like, we'll get you home and we'll do this. And like, whatever you need. And like, there was never, and people were like, well, was there any touching or anything? no that's not how it works right <laughs> like they were just like mentors and like friends mm -hmm. and it was great and that boyfriend wanted to marry me and i was like sir no <laughs> no i mean no she is 18 and going to college and you have no goals <laughs> and i was like okay look at us setting boundaries and not knowing it <laughs> and so i got to college and that was the first time. It's like the levels, right? It's like the levels of getting to these places. And that was the first time I felt seen. Mm -hmm. I was a hot, I was, listen, I started getting my eyebrows done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did have great boobs. They're a, a nice solid D. Woo! <laughs> I want them back. I want D's back. These boobs are getting, getting out of control. But <laughs> I was acknowledged and I was chased after. And I was like, what is this power? And I say this and people laugh. This is when I learned the power of my pussy. <laughs> and that is when I was like, oh, oh, you want me because I look this way and I carry myself this way. And you, you really just want to fornicate with me, but also you're like confused because I'm also fun and I can have a conversation and fucking you up. And I was like, yep, 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 yep. So I was like, you know what, bet, I'm going to enjoy this. And I dated guys and frats. I slept with guys and frats. I dated and slept with guys that were on the basketball team. Like the guys that people wanted and I didn't have to do anything to chase. And they were just like, hey, you want to hang out? And I'd be like, yeah. And this is where the first time I ever experienced true bullying. I was 18 years old. And I was like, I feel like I should have went through this already. No, yeah. nope, it was tricks. They found me at 18 and 19. And so this is another level of myself, but I felt like I was going backwards. Mm 
Like I felt like I was shamed again for just being. Mm-hmm. It was like I had done all this work to get here. And then it was like, you're doing too much. You're taking up too much space. You're ugh. Mm-hmm. So I just kept doing it though. And then I started drinking. I didn't drink until college. And it's it's wild, whatever. I, I waited and then I did a lot of it. And I slept with a lot of people and there was power in that for me. Like I had fun. Mm-hmm. And listen, I went to my first play party and didn't realize it until <laughs> later in life. I was uh, like, oh, it's just a bunch of us in here. Oh, we're making out. Oh, it's a bunch of people just having sex in the same room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now I'm like, you're kind of forward. I see what you're saying. But the thing about it too was I was sleeping with these people, but I was setting the boundaries. And mm-hmm. I was having conversations. And there were multiple people. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm seeing you, but I'm also seeing them. And I was like, okay, this is why people just thought I was a slut. But this was my now understanding what non-monogamy is today. Mm-hmm. And like what polyamory is today. And I was like, oh, no, like they knew about each other. But y'all didn't know they knew because you didn't need to know. Yeah. And then yeah. that just everyone, you're a slut. You're a whore. And I was like. All right. Well, guess who's fucking the person you want to be fucking? Good job. <laughs> right? And so all of this is going on and I I meet different people, like different men, different guys. I don't know if I'm going to use that. Different males at the time that taught me different things and taught me different ways to appreciate myself. And there was one guy who was weird and everyone thought he was weird. And I also thought he was weird. He had a somewhat obsession with like, weapons and whatever first time i was ever on a motorcycle was with him and still traumatized because he just like took off and like Mm. sped around and we would like sleep together and do all this stuff and this is where things change again so i went to school for criminal justice because i wanted to help domestic violence survivors in the space of I wanted to help the people that my mom didn't get help from or didn't know how to ask for help. And so that, mm. that is what my focus was when I went to school. So criminal justice, I forgot that part. I wanted to be Benson and Stabler. And then I quickly learned their burnout rate. And I was like, oh, got to figure something else out. <laughs> so my third year of college, I was 21. I was in my bed sleeping. This is where I say another hard thing. I was in my bed sleeping and it was just that feeling of someone's in my room. Like you felt that energy. Mm. And I woke up and I rolled over and this person who I've never named, and uh, I'll tell you why soon, but I never named this person, but I woke up and he was standing over me naked. Mm. And my trauma response was to freeze because one, I was, I was in like five dreams and you, you know, you wake up, you're groggy. You're like, what the fuck's happening? And he just instantly like grabbed me mm. and like forced me to perform fellatio on him. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is, I'm here. And there's this fear of his obsession of weapons. And so mm. I was just like, okay. And also that no one would believe me because I had, they knew I had slept with him. They knew I had been with him before. Mm-hmm. so I never told anyone until later in life until literally like 28 this happened at 21 there's more to it for sure but this happened and then that started my spiral my spiral of drinking every day I carried a bar in my trunk 
cherry vodka sour was my drink. I had everything but ice because no, no. <laughs> and I was busy and I became the fun life of the party, drunk dancing on tables. But then I also became that person that would hit that level and want to fight guys. Mm-hmm. Like I would literally slam guys against walls, choking them and punching them. And like, no one ever really like, they would stop me and be like, oh, you're tripping. But like, no one ever checked in with me. No one ever asked me what was going on. And then there was a lot of it I didn't remember because of how drunk I was. Mm-hmm you know, trying to date and navigate feelings and then suddenly having panic attacks all the time. Like Jess would be fine and suddenly it felt like someone was snatching the life out of me. Yeah. And the doctor trying to put me on medication, I was like, no, and trying to learn skills and whatnot. It just became so bad. Like it was just bad. And I, I ended up getting kicked out of school. and It was the best thing. Like I was asking to get kicked out because I needed help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, this is where I continued needing support around it. Jim and Ika is about to talk about going back to an abusive partner. People often go back to an abusive partner for many reasons, and here are a few. One, the abuse survivor may have gone into a dissociative state during the abuse and may have blocked out that the abuse ever occurred. Two, the abuser may have isolated and emotionally beaten down the abused person, making it difficult to leave. Or three, the abuse survivor's psyche may find the truth of the abuse to be too awful to bear, and therefore the survivor goes into a state of denial and attempts to regain normalcy by either acting as if nothing happened, that it wasn't that bad, or that the abuse was their own fault. Regardless, if this was you or is currently you, please have compassion for yourself. The abuse is not your fault, but please find the strength to get help. We will leave some resources for abuse survivors in the show notes. And this is where I want to normalize that sometimes we go back to our abuser. Mm -hmm. Sometimes after people cause us harm, we go back to them. And I did go back to him. Because I didn't look at it as rape. It was like, oh, I know I woke up and no, we hadn't talked about it. And no, no words were said. And yes, he just had a condom on when I woke up and he just did these. Like, like, it was a lot, right, to like try to parse through. And I saw him again. I saw him twice. One time I went to his home and no, I saw him more than, more than twice. But it's two, two different interactions in timing. But I saw him. And he tried to introduce me into polygamy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hot, listen, honey, the journey. He tried to introduce me to polygamy and was like, well, there's these other ladies. I mean, you don't have to meet them, but they're friends. And it was triggered because I listened to a trash can and my nosy ass saw some pills. And so I was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I looked them up. Again, nosy. And it was for an abortion. And I was like, um, question, what's this? He's like, oh, no, I was just helping out a friend. I'm like, cool. And then he's like, oh, I have these women. And, you know, I would love for you to be my third. And I was like, this is weird. I gotta get the fuck out of here. And then I saw him again. And this is, I, this is why I think I'm still creeped out by those little sphinx cats, the little hairless cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he had two of them. And I was like, ah, they freaked me out. And he was like, touch it touch it. 
you need to touch it. And he like forced me to touch it. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was like, yeah, I don't want to have sex with you. And he kicked me out. Mm. Wow. And he was like, well, get out. Then what the fuck are you here for? And I was like, you are absolutely correct. What the fuck am I here for? Yeah. And so I got kicked out of school. I separated from this. I got kicked out. And I took some time. I still went to junior college. Like, I've never not been in some educational space. I went to junior college. And this is where I started my first business. I became a store owner. I created a vintage clothing store online, my first online business. And I became a rape crisis counselor. Did I get therapy first? Nope. Did I figure my shit out first? Nope. Um, And I was that person that after you're assaulted, that's in the hospital room with you while you're getting your start kit. Right. And so I'm holding people's hands and they're trusting me with this space and retelling their stories. And that for me was the first time I was like, oh, no, this is what I want to do. This felt so humbling and like a gift of space and like trust that everyone doesn't have. But also like they felt comfortable to just do that with me. And I was like, oh, I learned how to do mirror work. Mm -hmm. I went back to school for psychology. So that's where my undergrad in psychology comes from. I went to school with Jesus. I had to, I had to find a, a, a school that had boundaries. If it was with the Lord, it worked out. It's fine. And I started my journey working in a mental health field. So my first job was working with juvenile sex offenders. It was a group home. We had 11 houses, six boys each. And they, the two years I worked there, they were never empty, which was a mind fuck and also reading their stories and their journeys and everything it was wild to me and I learned so much about myself but I also had the mindset of like okay I have to be a therapist to do this work and so I was like how do I keep getting there and so then I worked with teenagers in a more intense level and this again like I was in control of everything they kept giving me this role and I was like okay people trust me like I'm good at this Mm -hmm. but also I fucked up a lot right like I was like 23, 24, like being in charge of teenagers trying to AWOL and have sex and addiction and all this, like, wow, we need a fucking training. Like we have trauma. Like I have friends from that job. We still have trauma from that. Note, you can get tons of trauma from your job, from your work. This is true. Mm -hmm. So mental health facilities, I've learned a lot. And then I went to eating disorders. And this is when I was like, oh, honey, you still have disordered eating. Now you understand, like we would have, I did intake. So I was hearing the stories again. I'm seeing the, the, the thread of me constantly holding space for people mm-hmm. and getting like, okay, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, this is the thing. And also being like, you have work to do. So I started looking into spirituality versus doing therapy first. And this is also like people do different shit to figure themselves out. And so I've driven by this place my whole life. And I was like, I'm going to go get a card reading. (laughs) (laughs) And that card reading led to two years of work with this person. And I learned how to meditate. And she told me things about like my family that you can't just make up. And so I was like, okay, well, I believe in this now because this (laughs) makes sense. And she was like, you know, and I say my sperm donor because she was like, I don't think that's your dad. I think he took the role and he dated her and, you know, caused harm and all these things. I don't think that's your dad. Cool. Later in life, my grandmother's like, we're actually not sure if it's your dad. Cool, cool, cool. 
So I'm continuing to work through mental health facilities. I get into working in Malibu, California. At Bouge, real Bouge. <laughs> Lots of privilege. And this is where from the teenagers to the eating disorders aside, but the teenagers to this, I started to see how, how marginalized folks are treated. And it's totally different. And it's so horrifying that these are spaces we seek for healing and support when you're being more traumatized and more harmed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so this started to get my wheels moving of like, oh no, I want to create something that doesn't look like this. So I worked in Malibu and this is where I was like, I'm burned out. I got to find something else. And I was like, ooh, sex. My mom was like, <laughs> talk faster. What the fuck does that mean? I was like, I'm not sure yet. She was like, are you about to be selling your pussy? I was like, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's what I want to do, but you know, sky's the limit. And she was like, what? <laughs> And so I found sex ed and I fell in love. And this is, I, I found Sunny again. I found the Sunny again. <laughs> and I went to every conference I could find. I entered every contest because I was broke. And I won all of these things to get these free connections to people and community. And I was like, how do I combine myself, right? Like, how do I combine the things that I love, which is mental health and trauma and I was also going to school for marriage and family therapy at this point because I thought I had to be a therapist. Then I was like, I don't love this. I don't love all these rules and like how I have to show up for people. And like, we're not even talking about sex. Like, how are we, we're missing pieces. (laughs) And so I was like, yeah, I'm good on this. And so I was like, but what do I want to do? So finding sex ed and I'm an observer and which freaks people out sometimes. And I don't really care. People leave me alone. It makes me feel good. Um, But I saw that there were people working in trauma and I was like, oh my God, I can combine this. Because my thought was people were talking about lubes and toys and fun shit, but so many of us have trauma. Like, why aren't we talking enough about it? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not the first person to be in sex ed talking about trauma and I will not be the last. But I looked at it in like, what was missing? And I was like, a lot of people are talking at people and not talking to people. They're not looking at people as like whole circuit boards and full pictures. Mm-hmm. And they're not giving space to people that don't have space, which are predominantly when people think about sexual assault, it's white women. Mm-hmm. What about everyone else? And also minorities in the sense of we have higher assault rates because we're thrown away more. Like there's not healing spaces. There's not community. There's not safe spaces. Like, again, learning that these mental health facilities, like the trauma continues even when you're spending money to get support. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm learning all these things and I'm getting all these opportunities. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. I'm still in shock that to this day, like I am trusted to create content and speak at conferences and like having my heroes be my friends. Like I literally was just on a video chat with Sunny. Like I talked to Sunny. Like (laughs) I got to, you know, hire these people Like I just hosted my online summit for like specifically for survivors. And I'm like, holy shit. And I get to like give my friends money for like these things that maybe in other spaces they've never been, you know, paid to do. Like going to conferences, that shit's free. You're spending more money than you're making. But I get to be like, here, I see you. Like I don't have as much as I'd love to give you, but I want to give you something. Like I want to change the systems internally. I want to change the way conversations are had. 
And yeah, it's all fucking selfish because this is what I wanted for myself, right? Like, I create the work that I want, that I have needed, and it just works out that other other people feel the same way. And during all of this, like, getting here to this work where I get to speak at fucking colleges and, like, people send me messages like, you helped change my life. I'm sure both of you know that is powerful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is a gift in its own, and it's so fucking humbling. Like, I sometimes I'll just sit in my bed and cry Aww. at the gift of this work, right? Like, yes. this, is, this is a gift. Trials and tribulations, I'll give you a few, and we'll, we'll end on some positives. But <laughs> when I first got into sex ed, I was really doing all this hard work. And I remember I was, go I was at a speaking conference, like, learning how to speak, because I was like, I don't know how, and it was a lie. I'm great at it. I'm my horn. I'm good now. But my grandmother called me and said, hey, I hope you're not mad at me. And I'm like, girl, what? Hello? What happened? The man that may or may not be my father wrote me a letter. And I call it prison clickbait because outside the letter, I went back and I went to my parents' house and got the letter. I called a meeting with my best friends. I was like, hey, I got this letter. They're like, what do you need? I was like, I'd like a crab dinner and then let's process. They were like, done. <laughs> and so... I go home and read the letter and it's, I, I say cl prison clickbait because outside it says, this is your father. You have a sister. Wow. And my grandmother hands it to me and says, you don't have a sister. Your, your mother had no other children. Take this and do what you will. So I read it. It's a lot of, hey, I'm not dead. Hey, I learned how to read and write in prison. Hey, I don't know what they told you, but you have a sister, but never shares her name. Just tells me about her. And it's like, if you want to know more. Go ahead and send me a letter. Like, this is wild. You know, not clickbait. Like, I'm not fucking sending you a letter. Yeah. Like, you don't, I don't owe you anything. Right. You literally changed my life. Right? Like, that's wild. Yeah. So that's one thing. That was a fucking trial and tribulation. And then two years, how long have I lived here? Two years ago. Two years. We were celebrating. I was moving in with my best friend. My, my, the one I've been friends with since I was 12, and we live together now. I'm actually moving next month. It's so sad. But we were, I was moving my stuff in, and I sat in my car, and I was like, cool, cool, cool. My manager at the time was texting me, and my mom was texting me. I was like, look at you learning how to text. And Venmo went off. And I was like, who's sending me money? We love the cha-ching sound. <laughs> and I opened the request, and it was the person that raped me. And it was <gasps> the year that they raped me and a request for 25 cents. I was in therapy. I've been in therapy for two years now. So luckily, I'd already been in therapy when this happened. And I sat there for a second and was like, what the fuck, what the fuck? So instantly making sure I block. I'm making sure they're still blocked everywhere else. Block by block. And I'm just like, I, at this point, I've been in therapy. I've done the spiritual work. And it's, you know, it. This is where I'm also like, yeah, we can do all this work and we can still be triggered. We yeah. can still have shit come and shake our shake it all up. And I was like, you have 30 minutes to get back to the other side of town. And I lived in Echo Park at the time. And I was like, I'm going to the lake. I'm going to do some grounding techniques. I'm going to touch the grass. I'm going to get some nature. I'm going to get some elote. All of these things. And I was like, okay, I'm going to text my people because that's what I know works for me. I let them know what's going on. And people have different jobs in my life. Like they, this person makes sure I eat, this person makes sure I'm bathing, this person does a thing. And that's a skill I've learned. And this is what I also share with people because it's so helpful. Yeah. And so this all happens. I have 30 minutes. 
And I was like, I'm fine. I was in bed for two days, making people checked in on me. And, you know, shit happens. And I take from that the remembrance of trauma lives within us and it is a part of us forever. But we learn different ways how to navigate and push through. Mm-hmm. We learn different ways of resilience. We learn different skill sets. Like I never would have known how to create, and I made, for me, I didn't know anyone else that was doing it. Maybe people do, but like I had created my own safety list of humans. Yeah. And I also learned what that person, like I love my friends, but they all have different things that they're especially good at for me. And I reached out and was like, hey, would you be down to be my person to do this? Would you be cool to do this and like show up and, you know, like in kink, Mm -hmm. we have safe words. And I was like, if I text you this word, can you do this action? That's so cool. Yeah. And so I I teach people to do that now and like dating as a survivor. And this career is a moving gift for me. I've been able to speak to people that I never would have imagined. I get to continue working on my own healing. And, you know, Kate was talking about the different types of medicines. I started a shroom journey during the panorama because I was like, I shit else to do. How do I work through some stuff, right? <laughs> and I've done, I did tons of research on this other type of medicine, which led me to going back to school for alternative medicine because I think about our ancestors didn't have all these little pills. Right. They used the earth. Exactly. And so I was like, these mushrooms are of the earth. And I sat down in month five of the panorama. It was like, and I did a shroom journey and I spoke to the medicine and I said, am I supposed to be doing this work? Can you show me the women in my life? And I promise you, and you know, I feel like you'll get it and some people won't, but it was a flashes of these black women. Some I recognized and some I didn't. And they just loved me and told me how proud they were of me. Aww, and I, I love that. was shooketh <laughs> with mm. my weighted blanket on because I prepped. But <laughs> I say all that to say, like, this is a fucking continued journey. And yes, I was telling Sunny a little bit before this, like, I have never worked so hard in my life. <laughs> but mm. it's like, in all the ways that I've always wanted to, like, to be able to create that summit this past weekend or tending the garden in general, it literally was because of seeing the harm that was caused and the folks that are continuously overlooked and people trusting me. Like I got to hire 20 amazing people this weekend and they were like, yeah, absolutely. Whatever you need. That's trust. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what tending the garden is? Yeah. So tending the garden was supposed to be in first, just an in-person retreat for marginalized folks. So every retreat is going to be focused on different identities. So it was supposed to be in 2020. The first one was for women of color, just women of color, femmes of color, however you identify, because we're not gatekeepers. And then, of course, the panorama happened, stopped us. And then the retreat center first refused to give me my money back. So they stole $30,000 of fundraise money. Uh, We had lawyers, and they knew we couldn't go beyond our means. So... I wish them the worst. I wish them that they hit their pinky toe every morning and they get cut with <laughs> salt water in them. <laughs> I wish not the best, the worst, honey. But what comes from that was lots of crying and sadness, but also I got 
a $25,000 grant from American Express to keep creating. Wow. Mm. And that's how, that's how I get to pay Sunny. Uh, <laughs> and it allowed me to kind of restructure the things, right? Like everything was online. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. It's not going to be the same. And it doesn't have to be the same, right? Like the summit this weekend was still focused on different identities. We had sex workers. We had fat folks. We had mass survivors. We had neurodiverse survivors. We had different types of body talks. Like we talked about, you know, attachment theory. Like these are conversations people kind of like glaze over. And I was like, nah, we're going to like deep dive. Yeah. And, it's a and so again, getting to create that for just survivors in general is a dream for me. Like, has it hit me yet? No. But I also, <laughs> people are like, how is it? How was it? And I'm like, it felt like I was working for someone else. And then I sat with that feeling and I was like, well, it's because I was right. Like, this wasn't for me. Like I was creating this for the survivors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, this wasn't about me. Like I got to get out of the way and also to have almost all of my teachers be survivors. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a different level. And also that vulnerability of like some folks being like, I've never actually got to sit down and like share myself in this because you are a practitioner. You are a teacher. You are, you do sex ed. You are a therapist. Like, but you don't get to talk about your own journeys and how that looks. Mm -hmm. right. And so at the end of, there is no end, right? Like I'm still going, I'll be 34 next month. And I still feel like I haven't done enough, but I also know that I'm just getting started because I have so many dreams and goals and like different ways for folks to show up for themselves and like kind of continue to break those systems of oppression that are constantly on us. Yeah. And so this is, this is a start. And even when I'm exhausted, honey, I'm always exhausted. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, my stress levels, my hair falls out, which I learned at 30. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, my, good thing I'm cute with short hair, honey, because what else? <laughs> well, I have to say, I love the name Tending the Garden. Because, yeah. you know, like, if you go all the way back to our very first episode, I think I gave this kind of analogy of that. Everything that has to do with reconnecting is, is kind of like our garden mm -hmm. and we are part of the garden and we are also the gardener. And then yeah. everything that disconnects us is kind of like the Swede system, you know, yeah. like whether yeah. you're talking about, you know, Trumpiness or colonization <laughs> or, or patriarchy, you know, like all of these things are, are the, this disconnecting weed system. So I love like tending the garden is like such a beautiful name. Yeah, yes. and we're, our goal is to teach people how to continue to tend their own gardens. My teachers, which they voted on, they call themselves hoes because that's a garden <laughs> school, right? I was like, are we sure we're comfortable with this? And was like, oh my God, please call me a hoe. Can I get a t-shirt that calls me a gardening hoe? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> sure, get a hoe t-shirt. But Oh my yeah. God, I want that t-shirt too. <laughs> right? that is, and that is it, like, right? Like we're all tending to our own gardens. And sometimes we peek over and like, well, what kind of seeds are you using? Can I get some of those? Like, oh, that's like, a, maybe that works in my garden. And yeah. like the overall continuous permission to evolve, I think is my, my giveaway, my last message. Like you are allowed to continuously evolving in ways that feel good for you. Yeah, in it, ways that you can. It's interesting. There was a guy that I dated for a while. He was named Caron and he was Jamaican. So he, he, 
you know, he, he gave me a lot of shit. I mean, you know, Jamaicans, you know, they're <laughs> like, they have a tendency to, uh, uh, how should I say? They don't pull any punches. And mm-hmm. he would say the ones that I've known. And he would say, Kate, I'm not sure about this therapy stuff. You're kind of, it, it, you know, it's like, aren't you just encouraging kind of privileged people to pick their own navel? At the time I was, I kind of bristled, but it really made mm. me rethink everything. And that's one thing that was so great about that relationship. He came from such a different background that he was constantly getting me to rethink things, even though at first I push, push back. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, it's like the therapy system is largely built, you know, through white culture and therefore it's very separate. There's a loneliness in it. Whereas it seems like you're building community. And I think this, this, this community you're, you're building is it's, it's part of healing, not just the individual, but our country, like all that. And I just think it's beautiful what you're doing. Thank you. I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So that's, that's the journey. I'm sure I've left out abundance because we only got so much time, but I'm very thankful. Like I sit in a lot of gratitude. I, I meditate more. I do gratitude meditations. I, I didn't even talk about me going on that 10 day silent retreat that changed everything. That's how I came up with tending the garden at that retreat. Cause I'd have nothing else to do but sit in silence and look at walls and meditate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's a lot on this journey and it's not over. And I'm looking forward to see how I continue to evolve, how I can continue to show up for folks and how I can support people with their own journeys. Cause I think that's also important that, that, you know, pull the person back like that, that support person, like, you know, not just focusing on yourself. Like we also have to pull other people up with us. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So in the next episode, we'll be able to like unpack you know, the different aspects of your backstory, like we'll be able to unpack your vision for the future and who you are. And I'm really excited to do that. You know, I'm just as excited to unpack your past as to unpack your hopes and dreams and your vision for the future. Like it's, I, and, and I'll have to say, you remind me of the, the, the personification of the alchemist. It almost feels like everything in your life, you just saw the signs, you followed the signs, and this beautiful yeah. journey is, is manifesting. So, yes. I so love we, it. we really look forward to the next episode with you, where we will continue to open deeply. Can't wait. Thank you for listening. Find us online at opendeeplypodcast.com and on social media at Kate Marie or at Sunny Megatron. Check back bi-weekly for new episodes. And until next time, remember, your authentic truth is only found when you dare to open deeply. Intro and outro voice by the queen goddess, Frenchie Davis. Intro and outro music by the Baltimore Bull, Rob Barrett.